0: Happy Doug Jones Day! This episode is being released on the 10th anniversary of the day Doug Jones showed up on the set of the movie that kicked off director Mike Flanagan's horror career, Absentia. Back in episode 4, our Mike Flanagan Spotlight episode, we said we would celebrate Doug Jones Day ourselves, and what better way to do that than to go all the way back to one of Doug Jones' very first roles in a feature film. From the writer of Night of the Demons and the director of Halloween 5, it's Night Angel on this surprise bonus episode of Scary Stuff. Hello, 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 and welcome to this bonus episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. I'm Eric Dellinger, and I'm wishing a happy Doug Jones Day to my co-host, Jacob Jones-Goldstein. Happy Doug Jones Day. And a happy Doug Jones Day to my other co-host, Nick Leamy. Hello, everybody. All right. So yeah, thank you for joining us on this special Doug Jones Day surprise bonus episode. So like we mentioned in the intro, this is the anniversary of the one day that Doug Jones showed up on the set of Mike Flanagan's Absentia, and so we thought it'd be fun to do a little one-off bonus episode to celebrate.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of the neater stories that we picked up doing the research for the Mike Flanagan episode because Doug Jones is such a just a lovely guy. Yes. He's like a background guy that you don't always think about, but he's just in all these cool movies. Mm -hmm. And we decided to do none of them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we wanted to do something that was a horror movie and something that had him very prominent in it and not just disappearing behind a lot of makeup when he was not the forefront so we went all the way back to night Night angel Angel.
0: (laughs) yeah so for this one doug jones has been in a ton of stuff and even just looking at just the horror genre he's been in a ton of stuff so in trying to pick a title for this filtered out down to doug jones and just all the various appearances he's made in horror movies and we were sitting and going through those and i thought about it and i said well wait a minute let's let's just sort this chronologically and look at like what are some old ones that i might not be aware of And the very first one on there, his very first entry on IMDb is a movie called "The Newly Dead,"s which is a trauma film. Trauma! So many good people have come from trauma. I love trauma. So many have. That that
1: movie looks fascinating. Some really important people have come from trauma. It's great. Yes. And the trauma people were really nice at the New York Comic Con when I met them last year. Oh, were they there? Oh, they're lovely. Yeah, they had a big table. There were a lot of folks there. I didn't. I mean, I didn't buy anything because I am not a trauma fan.
0: Was Uncle Lloyd there? Lloyd Kaufman.
1: Lloyd. No. There was nobody famous that I recognized, but again, I'm not a big fan of Troma. Like, I wouldn't necessarily recognize a lot of their kind of staple, but they were really neat. It was a fun table. So, yeah, that's about all I've got on Troma. I watched Toxic Avenger.
2: Hey, a lot of big people came from Troma. You got James Gunn, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Vincent D'Onofrio, Eli Roth, Samuel L. Jackson, J.J. Abrams, and Doug
1: Jones. And Doug Jones, yep. And we're not celebrating any of those other motherfuckers. Nope, just just Doug Doug Jones.
0: Jones.
1: (laughs) So you know where our loyalties lie. Hey,
2: I've always had a soft, warm spot in my heart for the guys who love the horror makeup like I do. And there is no doubt that Doug Jones is down for horror makeup.
0: Yeah, he absolutely is. Not so much in Night Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Not so much in Night Angel, which is what made it interesting. So Doug Jones, by his own admission, when he got into Hollywood, his goal wasn't to do Heavy makeup work the stuff he's kind of become known for now. He's kind of a natural fit for it because of his body type and he has a contortionist background. And mime training. Also, isn't he like nine feet tall? He's very tall. I meant to look up his height and I didn't.
2: He's tall, lanky, contortionist, mime training. Like he's all about how to use that body he's got that's very unique.
0: But when he went out to Hollywood initially to try and start getting some acting jobs, as he put it, he wasn't looking for anything makeup intensive i listened to the episode of the postmortem podcast that nick garris does with him on it from a couple months ago and he mentions that when he first went out to hollywood he was pursuing as he referred to it as the goofy sidekick on a sitcom role which is come in do armpit farts and ask for a cup of sugar from his neighbor see it's funny you, it's funny you mention that because that really lines up well with this movie yes
1: <laughs> it explains a lot about his performance in this particular let's go with film <laughs>
0: It's a step to the side, which is, in this case, he's the goofy intern who comes in, ogles women, and bangs on the glass, pleading for sugar while you're making out with a demon older than time itself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, I wanted to like this movie. I really did. I mean, it, like you said in the opening, it's by the people who made Night of the Demons. It's directed by same director of, of uh, Halloween 5 and Omen 4. You know, there was a lot that was going for it, theoretically. And then I just got into it. I'm like, oh. well
1: doug jones is good i like doug jones doug jones is great in this movie (laughs) one brief note here you said it had a lot going for it but you also said directed by the guy who did halloween 5 Mm -hmm. and i only say this because halloween 5 is generally considered the worst of the original run and the only thing Uh, that saves it from being uh, the uh, absolute uh,
0: worst of the halloween look up any list the only other one six Six. Six is bad. The original cut of six. Not the producer's cut, but the original cut of six.
1: Six is rough. I remembered really hating five, and I went and I checked a bunch of lists that put them in order. Here's the deal. Like internet lists, not me. Five is not great, but it didn't kill the franchise either. (laughs) The only one worse than it in every list that I looked at was the one where Jamie Lee Curtis dies. Resurrection. Yeah,
0: resurrection eight. Yeah. Which is, to be fair, a big pile of shit. (laughs) But But Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes! He's a great concert. But Five is also,
1: it's bad, but it's also boring. So I wouldn't, I'm just, all I'm saying is, on the resume here, the fact that this guy happened to do a Halloween movie, not an upside thing. (laughs) I like that a movie (laughs) being boring is like the number one sin it could do for you. That is
2: definitively, when you hate a film, it's boring. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, I don't (laughs) want to be bored. I'm watching horror movies. (laughs) Generally a bad thing for horror movies, but it's funny, for all of Night Angel's problems, boring is not the top of the list, I would no, say. I, I would not no. call it boring.
2: But we'll get into that.
0: It doesn't make enough sense to be boring. Correct, and that, that works in its favor. When we looked into doing this, I started playing it, and when I got to the very first scene with Doug Jones, and we'll get into the plot details in a bit, but when I got to the very first scene with Doug Jones, I said, I think we're going to need to do this, <laughs> just based on him in the first scene. Then when I got to the second scene with Doug Jones, I said, we have to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And that was when I sent a message and was like, we got to do Night Angel. But I went ahead and finished it. And it worked out well because he's in it a surprising amount. So it actually worked out pretty perfect.
1: Plus, his first line is rib melons. So, you know. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you ripped the bandaid off. So I'm going to address it now. This is the single most misogynistic
2: film I think I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. Wow. Uh, oh, it's up there, but wow. Single most. Well, in most 80s and 90s misogynistic films, at least your lead is like somewhat the good guy. Like he's the one good guy of the group. But in this movie, every single man cannot speak to a woman without hitting on her. Yes. Every woman is a sex object, and every guy is the hot shit that's going to maybe just get through this time. You know, it's
0: ridiculous ridiculous every male character in this movie could probably politely be referred to as repugnant that's the nice way of referring to it but the key word in what you said there is 80s and what i would say is for anyone who hasn't seen this or hasn't heard of it but if you are a fan of 80s horror particularly gooey monster-centric 80s horror check this out because this is arguably the most 80s of 80s horror yeah both in its visual aesthetic and very much in its moral sensibilities yep so it's a fascinating watch from that respect
1: it's also interesting because it actually was released in 1990 so it's not Correct. technically an 80s movie although it was filmed in 88 yeah and it's funny if you look on IMDb, it was filmed in 88 but it was styled after 1983
0: yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> particularly the fashion yes yeah a lot of folks if you Look at, like, the director, Domenico Finan-Gerard's IMDb entry, you see Night Angel after Halloween 5, which was in 89. So you look at that and you think, oh, okay, he did Halloween, then he did this. and so it's, uh, Nope. He did Night Angel, and the post-production on this was such a clusterfuck and went on so long that he was hired for Halloween 5, rewrote the script, shot it, and the movie was released before Night Angel even came out. Wow! <laughs> And another, speaking of 80s horror touchstones, though, like we mentioned, this is also from the writer of Night of the Demons, which is one of my big horror omissions. I have not seen Night of the Demons.
2: Uh, Neither have I. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I've seen, I think, all three.
0: There's three of the originals again. I think there's a remake. Yes, yes. Although I got to say, based
1: on this and based on Halloween 5, I'm not in a hurry to see them. <laughs> <laughs> I can say this much. It's better than this. You are still going to hate it. I. It seems likely. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but it makes less sense than this movie. And I, I would honestly say I didn't hate this movie because, again, it doesn't make enough sense to hate. I did not hate it or love. I did not hate it's it. It's just it is a movie. It more like it it happened to me than I watched it. <laughs> I was more offended by it than hating it.
2: But you know, it at least had some moments I appreciated.
1: It's funny because I wasn't overly offended by it just because it seems so typically rooted in 80s sensibilities and the way all of this shit plays out Mm -hmm. the only thing that was different really from this from almost every other 80s schlocky kind of horror movie was that doug jones also played an asshole which for me was a first well yeah but in every other 80s movie his character is the nice guy doofus fair and in this character he's an asshole doofus
0: which is very different he's a raging asshole yeah Yep, he's every bit as bad as everyone else. He's just more awkward yep. about it.
1: Right, but that's the main thing that set it aside from anything else to make it seem more misogynistic than... Look, I'm not arguing it's it's not misogynistic. <laughs> Let's be clear on that. <laughs> it's hard not to. It's it just not more misogynistic than so many other things. It's just that one tweak where the guy who's very clearly supposed to be the comedic relief... And he is. Isn't. Comedic really. I was more offended by the racism in the movie, to be honest. (sighs) But we'll get to that. Oh, yes, we will. Well, let's get into it then. So, the movie starts off
2: with a bit of a narrator introduction.
0: I did like the narration. By Roscoe Lee fucking Brown. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. So, no joke, I love Roscoe Lee Brown. And so, when I first watched this, I watched it online. I've since bought the Blu-ray and watched it several times. But when I first watched this, I watched it online. I hit play. It got a few seconds in and I realized, oh, shit, I've got it muted. And I hit unmute. And for a second, I legit thought, shit, I must have another tab open because I hear Roscoe Lee Brown and there's no fucking way he did the voiceover (laughs) for fucking Night Angel. I was like, where are my other tabs? And then I listened to what he was saying. I was like, holy shit, he's doing all this big spiel about Lilith from the Kabbalah, who was Adam's first wife. Yep. This movie in its original draft was just called Lilith. And to my knowledge, this is actually one of the things this movie has going for it was it was actually the first movie depiction of the character of Lilith. Oh, wow. And in an interview, so my first exposure to the concept of Lilith, funnily enough, was I'm sure I had friends growing up who played like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade or something like that, which incorporated it. But for me, it was Neon Genesis Evangelion. Nice. The concept of Lilith shows up in there. She just
1: shows up in a lot of comics. I never really thought about her in movies until honestly right now
0: yeah i believe they said this was the first depiction of her in a movie and <laughs> and funnily enough like we mentioned so this movie was co-written by joe augustine who wrote night of the demons and he very much approached both films from he was a big fan of the exorcist and he thought demons were kind of an underserved niche in horror hmm. so he wanted to kind of cash in on that so he did night of the demons which was schlockier and then this was supposed to be kind of the aiming higher bigger budget movie <laughs> right in my head
1: i thought you were going to say demons were an underserved community and i just <laughs> i think i've been on twitter a little bit too much today so. uh yeah probably the funny thing is
2: it is the higher bar of the two movies so
0: <laughs> but uh, it's aiming higher, it's it's aiming aiming higher. i understand of night of the demons it's aiming higher it's definitely aiming higher probably
1: had better quality cocaine on set too oh yeah oh yeah absolutely. <laughs>
0: So the opening is uh, Roscoe Lee Brown doing this narration, you know, from the dawn of history, she has plagued mankind. Many a mother has wept for a baby found dead in its cradle. And it opens with this actual interesting effect where it's this sand dune. Yes. And as the sand ebbs away, you see this kind of ancient Babylonian statue of a woman that kind of the face of it comes through the dune. And then the surface of the statue gets pulled away and you see this half-demonic skull underneath. And there's an interview with Steve Johnson, the effects guy on the Blu-ray, and how they did that was really interesting. It was a uh, basically a hard skull that they put a polyurethane uh, face over top of, and then they sandblasted it because they said, well, if, if we're looking at a dune, you can't tell which sand is coming from off-camera and which isn't. Nice. <laughs> so they just sandblasted this thing until the face came away. It's really well done. Yeah. The opening is nifty, and you have... All the while over this, you have Roscoe Lee Brown talking all this nonsense about Lilith and talking about, you know, the Babylonians built statues to honor her. By many names is she known, from Cali in India to Pele in Hawaii. And I just want to you know, in Milwaukee, she is known only as Karen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it's, the opening is actually pretty well done. It gave me high hopes. And then, yeah, it really sets you up. Yeah, it's great. I like the idea of using Lilith. The sandblasting was a really nice touch. It really, like, the opening reminded me a bit of the Halloween opening, with you have like the jack lantern and it tears open, revealing the skull inside. Oh, yeah. kind of, Yeah. Yeah. It felt very kind of an homage to that. And I, I was down for it. I thought it worked really well. But then, of course, the movie starts with the first of the six days of the eclipse. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know whose idea that was.
1: Uh, but... it wasn't an eclipse it was six days of the black sun or six days of the black moon it was a
2: lunar eclipse yeah but they
1: called it something specific they got fancy with it but it's
2: still bullshit <laughs> well yeah so Lilith, it starts with Lilith pulling herself out of the ground it's clear that she's kind of like still half in demon form and she's like slowly peeling this demon skin off of her and get your first gratuitous boob shot because you know 80s Yep. She looks at her hand is like, ah, because it's still demon. Like, she's offended by it. And she, like, smashes it into the ground into a human hand, which I thought was a nice touch.
0: <laughs> yep. And then it comes out and it's human. Yeah. I mean, that's how
1: I wake up every morning. <laughs> With
0: one fucked up hand that you just One fucked
1: up hand, in. just start whacking it on the bed. Cat
2: staring at me. <laughs> I have to admit, I really enjoyed the practical effects for her makeup throughout the film.
0: A lot of the effects in this are very good. They're mostly Steve Johnson, and then a lot of the ones in post were done by Mm K&B, who we talked about before many times on the podcast, Greg Nicotero, Robert Kurtzman, Howard Berger. So, yeah, a lot of the practical effects work in this is really nifty.
2: So Lila's is played by Isa Jank, a German actress, and her coming to life disturbs the sleep of Sadie, who I know as Helen Martin from 227. Yeah, 227. I grew up on that stuff. I love it.
0: Yeah, for me, she, I mean, she's been in a crap load of stuff, but for me, I i always know her as the grandmother from both Hollywood Shuffle and Don't Be a Menace in South Central While Drinking Your Juice <laughs> in the woods. Yes,
2: head. yes, she's amazing at that. I think she might be the highest quality actor in the whole film, honestly, and I think she's- Other
1: than Doug Jones.
2: Oh, sorry, sorry, other than Doug Jones.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny, I, I looked up Asa Jank to see, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, to see what else she was in, and she doesn't have a lot of credits, at least domestically. No. But she was in a Cheers episode. Yes. Oh yeah. And I went and watched the Cheers episode, which nice. made me happy because I loved Cheers growing it's up. So good. And I, you know, I remember the episode. I even remembered most of the tropes about it. I, obviously, I didn't. I wouldn't say I remembered her. But what I find funny is that she's basically playing the same character in both. She just doesn't kill anybody in Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> but she does spit in his face, so it's not that far off. Okay. <laughs> also, the Cheers episode was much. Much better than this movie. <laughs> what? Well, just about the same level of sexist. So Fair enough. It's in season seven, episode like five, I think, if anybody's curious. It's the one where Carla thinks her husband is having an affair. Right. And he's on the skating tour and all that.
0: So she plays her like a German or a Russian in that. So not that far off. Yeah, no, she started as a German model in the 70s and 80s. Came to the United States, did some modeling, and did some acting jobs, and then she ended up going back to Germany. And she had a a lot of acting jobs once she got back to Germany, but her stuff in the United States early on is kind of scarce. But yeah, this was probably her biggest role in the U.S. All All right. right. So she wakes up, she gives her hand a good thump to get the monster off, and then... Well,
2: at that point, after Sadie wakes up, we cut to the lead of the movie. We go back to the Siren Fashion Magazine company. We have Rod and Craig, the two characters, arguing over the cover.
0: Yep, Craig is our lead, who's played by Lyndon Ashby, who I was very excited to see. Also known as... Johnny Johnny Cage! Cage. (laughs) (laughs) I was curious. I said, all right, is it going to be Johnny Cage, or is it going to be Dr. Brett Cooper from Melrose Place? Which one's Nick going to go with? I uh, wouldn't know Johnny Cage, but... Johnny
1: Cage, all the way. Yes. He's the obvious lead, and he's an art director. I gotta be honest, I didn't do any research on any of the other actors besides Doug Jones and Nitzit Mankin. (laughs) I just, I so didn't even differentiate... Between them so much, like the first couple of scenes were hard for me to follow because they were all just the same dude Yeah, in my head. It's rough. It's rough. The only way I remembered the lead was I wrote down Blonde Hero in the Technicolor Dream Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to remember
2: him in later scenes. I mean, heck, his co-worker he's talking to, Rod, is played by Gary Hudson, and the only thing I could really recognize him from was Roadhouse. Roadhouse,
0: yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes, you <laughs> so have never seen Roadhouse. Oh, we'll fix that eventually. Not for this podcast. Definitely.
2: So it really is just them arguing over how to do the cover. Craig wants to do a a tasteful kind of artistic photo of the whole woman next to the name of the magazine. Whereas Rod just wants cleavage. It's all he wants. It's like walking testosterone is the majority of the male characters in this. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Which is absolutely what you associate with the fashion industry. Walking testosterone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then Doug Jones shows up. And he's so much
2: worse. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Doug Jones playing Ken, who walks in. And so the two other members of Siren we're introduced to are trying to determine the ratio of cleavage to have on the front of this magazine. And Doug Jones is Ken. His first line is, oh, my gosh, would you look at the rib melons on this babe!" (laughs) (laughs) And we're off. And he's got,
1: like, full afro, and he's got the baseball cap on top of it. He looks like Sideshow Bob. I mean,
0: it's... He drops that line. I'm like, oh, my God, what have I signed on for? <laughs> <laughs> Doug, why? Now, I want to say something. I want to say something early for this, for this particular character, since we're doing this movie for Doug Jones Day. I don't know what Doug Jones' perception of this movie is. It comes up briefly in his podcast with Mick Garris, And every time Mick Garris mentions Night Angel, Doug Jones just basically says, I'm surprised you remember Night Angel. And Mick Garris' response is essentially, come on, son. (laughs) (laughs) But I got to say this. In the event that this is a movie that Doug Jones is somehow ashamed of, I don't think he should be because he is adorable in this. He is adorable. And I mean that sincerely. The character's not. No. The character's (laughs) nauseating. But Doug Jones himself is adorable in this. He's so much fun to watch. It's a fair
1: assessment. I think they did show admirable restraint not giving him a bow tie. Uh, He has
0: one later, doesn't he? Does he? Because his character just seems like he ought to have a bow tie. I think in the second scene at the bar, I think he has one. Yeah, that sounds right. We'll find out because we're bound to make a bazillion animated gifts of him (laughs) in the second scene he shows up in, which we'll get to.
2: So they quickly cut away from the introduction of the male lead to uh, show Lilith in... Full action. She is up and roaring and ready to go, not wasting any time. She is driving Mr. Crenshaw to his home, the owner of Siren, where she is clearly trying to get him to put her on the cover of his magazine. And she does this thing where she puts this ring on his finger, which I was waiting for that to come back on any level whatsoever, and no, not remotely. It's just completely a random thing that happens.
0: No, just another marriage reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Though I I do want to zero in real quick on your use of the phrase on her being up and roaring in particular, because the first time we see her is she's driving this black convertible that she's got, which has the insignia on the hood we later see is her insignia that she wears on a necklace around her neck. And it's also on a book that we see later in in a hell sequence, (laughs) which we'll get to in a bit. So her very first thought, apparently, after digging herself up from the bowels of the earth was, I need wheels, and had this car commissioned, <laughs> apparently, with this custom logo <laughs> and
1: shit. Look, you don't become a Batman villain without your own logo on a car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, she asked to be on the cover, and he basically says no, and she just leaves him there in his house, high and dry. At which point he walks into his bedroom admiring the naked photos of women on the walls, which have other naked photos of women behind them.
0: Behind them, yes.
1: (laughs) Like, what the hell? I tried so hard to figure that out. Why was the photo of the naked woman behind the painting? Okay, And then he he just pulls it out, looks at it, puts it back, but it's not like it's hidden. It's hanging half out. Here's my only theory.
2: Okay, remember, we're talking about peak misogynism here, all right? Everyone in this movie who has any level of testosterone is a terrible person. So my theory is the photos on the wall are the ones that were published for the magazine and the ones behind them are his own private stock from what happened behind the scenes. Like he was sleeping.
0: With That's him. my guess,
2: yeah. Yeah. But it's not even hidden. It's just right there. It's just behind the photo. So this is uh, this movie has nothing but weird shit in it because he eventually goes into the bedroom. And he's distracted by a goddamn llama in the backyard. I'm like, what? What was up with the llama? I no idea. A
1: fucking llama. <laughs> they don't ever address it. I have three notes. It's just llama. What the fuck? Why is there a llama? There's got to be something about llamas, but nope. nope. I kept waiting for some, like,
2: text to be accessed to go, let us do now the exposition of Lilith. Behold, her animal symbol is the llama. to represent (laughs) her evil like no she shall ride
0: down from the sky astride a llama (laughs) it
2: never comes up again there's just a random goddamn llama in the backyard it's not
0: even an alpaca it's a llama
2: like an alpaca you could farm that's true but then suddenly (laughs) out of nowhere she's in the bedroom and she decides you know i'm going to entice you now now i'm gonna trance you i'm gonna trance you so you can't say no to me i'm gonna sleep with you next to your wife and when she wakes up well, screw it. I'm just going to kill you all.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's astride Mr. Crenshaw. She cuts him so he starts bleeding. And then there's this dissolve when she's on top of him where she's, she has minimal makeup at the start. And then when she cuts his chest... All of a sudden, she has this heavy eye makeup, where all of a sudden she just transforms into Gene Simmons from Never Too Young to Die. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mrs. Crenshaw wakes up and says, honey, what's going on? And Lilith slashes her throat. Blood goes everywhere. The little boy, their child, comes in the room and says, Mommy, Daddy, what's going on? And she sends the fucking camera from Evil Dead after this kid. <laughs> 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 Where it's just chasing him around the house. <laughs> and we don't find out what happened to the kid in that sequence. We find out later the kid apparently dies.
1: Although he jumps into bed and covers only his head. And that's just not efficient monster protection. And he should have known that by that age. Yeah. you got to use the whole cover,
2: man. <laughs> so, spoiling a few things here. Not really. But basically you get the impression that Mr. Crenshaw from watching this film is the only one of everyone who to some degree could resist her and just said hell no in the magazine and that's why she killed him. It's like,
1: wait, what? Why is this douchebag the only one who can say no to this woman? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he technically doesn't because like his first line is this isn't what I meant by take you home. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. But you know, it is what it is. So, like, he fully intended to sleep with her, just not in his marital bed with his <laughs> wife there. Right! And the llama looking at him. See, that's why the llama's
2: there. She can only get off if the llama's watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's the sex llama. The okay. sex llama. Everybody needs <laughs> the <a> sex llama. <laughs>
0: this is the first of many fetishes that are going to come up during our discussion of non show. Sure. <laughs> so, this incident actually wakes
2: Craig up. He is somehow kind of connected to this woman and what she's doing. It's a
0: Lilith. Instantly. Yep. Instantly.
2: But don't worry, it's never explained. Nope. <laughs> Almost every night he's waking up from these nightmares. Like, I could loosely explain this as he's destined to be the final, you know, target, but that's bullshit. I mean that's not remotely,
1: you know, <laughs> addressed at all at any level. If you're gonna spend time coming up with theories to fix all the problems in this movie. We're going to be here a long time. <laughs> but
2: right off the bat, he goes to work, and the first thing he does is casually sexually harass a coworker. All right.
0: Yes, we got to address this. <laughs> it cuts from him to work and at this point i clocked it our main character commits three flagrant acts of sexual harassment yes! in under 10 seconds it's ridiculous it opens with him and another coworker going up the stairwell there's a female co-worker ahead of them they immediately crouch down and look up her skirt yep and he has the line can you tell i haven't had my morning coffee yet <laughs> and then after they look up her skirt they run upstairs and immediately fondle her ass And then another woman comes in and tells him Rita's waiting and he immediately grabs her by the waist and pushes her chest to chest with him. And it was like, that's a sexual harassment record. Holy shit. And
2: this is supposed to be the hero of the film, people. Yes. This is the person you're supposed to be rooting for.
1: It's goddamn ridiculous. It's nuts. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say I was a nerd to it, but even by this point, it was just like, so this is what this is. All right. It's so over the top. It's ridiculously over the top, and and it was upsetting to watch. (laughs) So if Brett Easton Ellis wrote a horror movie in 1988. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I did get excited at this point
2: after this awfulness because one of the first co-workers he runs into is Rita, who is played by Karen Black. Yes. Oh, I love Karen Black. She has been in so many great things. The the Trilogy of Terror is the first one I think off the top of my head. I love that movie.
0: She has a lot of genre credits with Trilogy of Terror, Burnt Offerings, and a lot of, in the 70s, she had a lot of big roles with Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, she was in Robert Altman's Nashville, so yeah, huge catalog of work.
2: Yeah, quality individual, great actor.
0: And she's a hoot in this movie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I like, she basically, he comes and he goes, what's wrong? He's like, well... Mr. Crenshaw and his family were killed. They're like, oh, okay. Does that change anything? He's like,
0: nope, business as
2: usual. Party's on. We're doing the magazine. You know, she's not super excited about it, but she, it's like, you know, <laughs> is this going to affect anything? Fuck no. Let's get to work.
0: <laughs> she tells them that Crenshaw's dead and Lyndon Ashby, Craig's reaction is literally, so now what? <laughs> it's like, All right, moving on.
1: And you know, she's thinking, well, it's just one more dead ass grabbing asshole. So what do I care? Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: We then learn that the woman having the nightmare is Helen Martin from 227, like I said. Now, she is the most conflicted image of a character in this film, because the way she talks and interacts with people is very kind of Christian-minded, like Roman Catholic almost, whereas everything else she does is very wicked. Like, she's making potions, and she's got like a fetish stick, and it's like... Make up your goddamn
1: mind on <laughs> a spirituality course. <laughs> well, they don't know which kind of magical black person they want her to be.
0: Right? right. So they
1: try to make her be all of them. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's brutal.
0: Yeah, and she's driving the cabbies for mobile, which is <laughs> just bedecked yeah. in like 20 different Christ statues on the dashboard. And it's yep. the design of this thing's crazy. And yeah, we cut to her driving around town and she hears a radio announcement about Mr. Crenshaw's death and talking about Siren Magazine. And she instantly gets this, like, look of acknowledgement as if she knows, Fashion Magazine, Lilith! (laughs) Wait, what?
2: (laughs) So, yeah, they still have the party they were planning that night. And uh, the first thing Craig does when he gets there is flirt with with Rita, because he cannot flirt with any woman he comes across.
0: First thing Doug Jones does is take two shots at once.
2: Yes, he does. Super drunk and dorky. And he immediately badmouths the dead Mr. Crenshaw as an asshole.
1: <laughs> yes, they have the toast. Yeah, they even did the toast to a dead asshole.
2: Besmirching a dead man right off the bat. There's, he plays a terrible person in this movie. There, I mean, hell, there's this waitress walking around wearing almost nothing, because again, most massages movie ever. And he starts literally barking at her like a
0: 12-year-old. It's like, what the fuck, man? Rod brings his date in his line is oh my heavens look at that <laughs> look what Rod dragged in uh, yeah it's, it's just anything vaguely resembling female his character has to comment on her
2: oh. and the, the and all the outfits are like so eighties like it's great if, if you ever need to make a period piece for the eighties you should use this movie as a reference it's just everything screams it.
0: Yeah, this party sequence is a solid goal from front to beginning, because it's just so ludicrous to look at in the beginning, and then it goes actual ludicrous as it goes.
1: It looked to me like they just raided Silk Stockings.
0: Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! You yes. were absolutely correct! <laughs> and in all
1: honesty, this just felt like a longer supernatural episode of Silk Stockings.
0: If you're going to watch Night Angel, you really should watch it as part of USA's Up All Night. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: up! You said that wrong. It's Up
1: All Night. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also doug jones is still wearing the hat he was in the original even though this is a fancy dress up party <laughs>
2: at this point we're introduced to kirsty rita's sister who is played by deborah foyer the obvious love interest
0: yeah from go yes as soon as she walks in and at this point again ken the character played by doug jones has to comment <laughs> and he has... Probably the line of the movie, which is when he says to Craig, oh man, what a bitch, ow! And Craig's response is, yeah, I like her too. And Doug Jones responds, I didn't say I like her, I just want to tickle her tonsils with my meat puppet. Oh, oh my god. Uh, again Doug Jones you are positively adorable in this that line is nauseating but you are so adorable I, I have to give him this much
2: you know from what I know of the man from everybody who's talked about him and all the interviews and all the times I've seen him talk as himself and he's the sweetest nicest little guy he sold this role I mean he really came across
0: as a righteous asshole and I think it's a credit to his acting ability. <laughs> And he's Christian. His father was a minister and he's still like openly devout about his faith. And then we have this is one of his very first Hollywood lines is tickle her tonsils with my meat puppet. <laughs> this is them talking about
2: Kirsty, who's the main obvious love interest. I mean, and hell, like so Craig doesn't skip a beat immediately flirts with her and his flirting is interrupted by another woman who shows up and offers him baby oil fun times. So, I mean, it's like, it's establishing that he's a player, that he's good at the play, and now he's, he's so good he's getting interrupted by other women. It's just like, oh, God,
1: damn this movie. I just think it was the coat, man, the Technicolor Dream Jacket he That <laughs> thing was fine. But at this point, Lilith
2: comes in to the club, and everyone is enthralled. And Doug Jones gets the Tex
1: Avery yes. exaggerated gulp. Yeah, like, I can't believe we didn't actually see steam come out of his ears and his eyes Google out of his head. Like, if they had used some of the effects budget for that, that would have been perfect. <laughs> and to his credit, Doug Jones, the Ken character, is the first one
2: to go try to dance with her. And I do believe his pickup line is, I want to bear your children.
0: Yes. Nope. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Uh, before that, we have the absurd beer bottle sequence. Right, right. Rod says to Lilith, he says, what do you have? And she says beer, which I thought was funny because I looked it up and apparently beer was the major beverage among the Babylonians as early as 2700 BC. They nice. worshiped a wine goddess and other wine deities. So it was like, uh, that might have actually come from legit research. Of yeah, um, uh, all the things
2: in this movie, historical accuracy with her drink was not what I expected to hear. No, that, that was their paramount priority in this movie.
0: <laughs> and then she has the sequence where she, the bartender says, oh, it's not a screw off top, but she pops it off anyway. And then just begins licking the rim of this thing. Like, fellates the hell out of it. Yeah. You would think one shot is enough. They cut to it four times. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> end. licking the rim of this thing. It's bonkers. At which point, she
2: dances with Ken. And oh. she's pole dancing while he's doing this crazy-ass frog leap dance. Like, <laughs> Oh, but he also pole dances. Oh, he yes, does. He does. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But then, of course, you get, you know, full-on ape mentality. Rod leaves his girlfriend behind, walks onto the dance floor. And just completely blows Ken out of the
1: scene and takes over the uh, Lilith dancing. And Lilith's all for it. My only note for this entire scene is Doug Jones pole dance. Drink. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this is the funny part. So she's like so enthralled, both
2: Rod and Ken, that while she takes Rod out of the club, Ken chases them down. Yes. Like he grabs the cloak she's left behind and chases (laughs) after them. In hot pursuit. At which point, this is so freaking odd to me. So he takes her to a goddamn hotel where they get into the lobby, and no one is there. And somehow they've locked the front lobby door so they can have the lobby to "quote unquote" themselves while they dance and make yes. out. <laughs>
0: I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And of course, Ken shows up and he's just banging on the glass like, no, let me in. I want to play it too. Doug Jones is reenacting the end of The Graduate like it's that extreme where it's just, <laughs> Elaine! the whole time like he's <laughs> frantically panting. <laughs> And it's the whole bit is, you know, the best kind of sex that Rod's having is the kind where you can't even make it to the room. It's like, fuck the room. We're doing it in the lobby. (laughs) And Ken's there, like, literally with his face smashed flat against the
2: glass, like, going, please, no! And she starts undressing and tempting the boat, and she backs up into the elevator, which is now lit bright white, like it's the gates of heaven. Yep. Like it reminded me of that scene from uh, "Loving an Elevator" for Aerosmith. You know, just <laughs> the doors open and it's like perfect inside. He goes, so they
1: were trying to live it up while they went down. That's right. I, I see. Okay.
2: <laughs> and he chases into it after her, and that's when you learn that nope, there is no cart, and he falls down the elevator shaft and, and impales himself. While Ken apparently. Literally smashes himself through the glass. Like, it looked like he severed his whole
0: goddamn kneecap off. Yep. <laughs> Sheared the top of his knee off. Yeah. It's like, how do
1: you do that? Oh my God. For my money, this is the weirdest scene in the entire it's movie. Very surreal. Because none of it really makes any sense at all. Like, nothing that happens is logical or follows anything you've been given other than Lilith kills guys for no reason in particular. They explain it later, but yeah, you got nothing at this point. But the whole thing feels like there's just shit missing. <laughs> like, I feel like we missed, like, three scenes somewhere between the party and Doug Jones' kneecap getting cut off. Yeah. It can
2: almost make sense with Mr. Crenshaw, because it feels like she was like, oh, say no to me, will you? Kill you and your whole family. You know, that's a very, you can almost put that off to just being pissed. Right. But yeah, she just pulls Rod out of the
1: goddamn crowd and goes, let's do this. Die, fucker. <laughs> Yeah, and when when you find out later that her plan is to get on the cover of the magazine to control the world or whatever it yeah. turned
2: out to be, uh, but it's also she has to kill she has to kill one guy a night for each of the six nights of the eclipse. Again, yeah. still bugs me.
1: <laughs> it's just so absurd, but it, it's so it feels like it should be a like an actual music video for Aerosmith. Yeah, it's so disorienting and jarring and missing so much. That it's, even for the 80s, it wasn't a hot sex scene or anything like that. It's just weird. Yeah. And your brain keeps trying to, it's like looking at the wrong angles or something. Or something that's slightly out of focus. It just, it's so hard to watch. From a high up angle, you get
2: it. She's lured these men. She needs to kill one. The other one got pulled into it because she was too powerful. If that's all you say that concept kind of works but then they shove all this other crap into it and it just becomes this entirely different thing it's like it's like a form of
1: modern art (laughs) and also you find out she can just grow fingernails and slice people up so she doesn't do that in the car no she kills him with an elevator (laughs) on the first floor right
0: right it's kind of reductive to say this since the director is swiss but it really does have that european dream logic that a lot of films from this time had where certain sequences is we just want everything to be surreal and things don't quite work in the right time frame and we get that several times in this there's an overtly supernatural sequence later on but even before then we get the sequence later there's a sequence at the magazine where the main characters get chased out and they do this thing where all of a sudden they're shooting bits in high frame rate and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so it very much has this It'll just go in and out of this. It was like, oh, it's Dream Logic, you know. So that was the vibe I got on a lot of it. Agreed.
1: I would call that Dream Logic. I feel like using the word logic just in general near <laughs> that scene is Dream shit. <laughs> so uh, one note to get back to the party very briefly. The song they came into like that is playing at the party, it's a song called Can't Take It Anymore and it's written by a band called Rebel Faction. It sounds like the most typical standard 80s song you've ever heard to the point where i when i heard it i'm like well is that are speedwagon is that you know it's it's got to be one of these 80s and i hadn't heard of rebel faction so i looked them up and it's basically two guys named larry hester and terry quinn and they got their start they'd been around a while they got their start in the middle of the 70s in la and their first performance live performance together not necessarily as rebel faction i think it was as like the larry hester band or something was opening for Tom Petty at the Whiskey A Go-Go when he was doing the album launch party and launching his first world tour. Holy shit. The song you're hearing in that thing is by people who started their career by helping start Tom Petty's career. Oh, wow. And here we are. (laughs) And I was interested, like, it's really hard. I could only find the song on YouTube because there isn't like it's not something that's currently in print or anything like that but it's called can't take anymore it's not a bad song it's just incredibly 80s and that got me curious about it but the fact that you can directly tie this movie to the launch of tom petty's career in very few steps bothers me a little bit
0: (laughs) but anyway and a quick side note on that as far as music goes the score to this movie was done by a composer named cory larius who around this time did the score for One Crazy Summer and the score for Max Headroom. Nice. But did the score for the shows Baywatch and Thunder in Paradise. Keep that in mind. That's going to have a connection to another episode we've got coming up. So we'll we'll get back to that in a future episode.
2: (laughs) All right. So all that happens. And of course, Craig comes back to work the next day where we see that Sadie has found him and is staking
1: him out. Oh, wait, I've got it in my notes. Sorry, real quick. It's the sixth night of the Black Moon. That's what it was.
0: They do refer to it as a lunar eclipse in the the radio broadcast at the opening. Yep. So when we're first introduced to Craig, there's the radio broadcast, which says, initially, it's completely straight-laced. And for your superstitious souls who think full moons are scary, last night's lunar eclipse brought a whole slew of strange events. The violent crime index nearly doubled, and several local hospitals reported a rash of crib deaths in the maternity ward. Initial investigations reveal no evidence of foul play spooky? Well, and other things <laughs> astronomical. <laughs> you just talked about dead infants, and line is spooky! It's okay. But funnily enough, that ties into the actual Lilith myth. Apparently, yes. one of the, the things from her was that, yeah, she was would murder children, so.
2: Which she clearly did. One of the first things she did when she got
0: up. Yep. So,
2: Craig comes to the work, and Rita immediately tells him that Rod has died. You know, they both are clearly sad. They hug and cry. At which point, she mentions that the police are asking nasty questions. Apparently, Rita, with Mr. Crenshaw having passed away, is now the woman to inherit the whole entire company. Now, this sets up a really neat plot line with how she's going to inherit the place and have the cops get involved. Well, at least it would if this was a decent film, because you never hear about any of this ever again. It doesn't come up at all. It's, what the hell? It's like Chekhov's gun. They just keep bringing in things going, here's this. Let's just throw that over our shoulder. We're not going to need that again.
1: (laughs) Like I said, the whole movie feels like half the scenes are missing.
0: Yes. It's worth noting at this point, so the co-writers on this were Joe Augustine, who wrote Night of the Demons, and Walter Jostin, who was also a producer on Night of the Demons, and co-wrote this. And his only other writing credit is a movie called Pucker Up and Bark Like a Dog. But (laughs) he was the producer on Night of the Demons, Witchboard, Leprechaun 3 and 4, etc. Apparently in the writing process, in the initial draft, Joe Augustine, like, really wanted to do all this stuff to really tie into the Lilith Mesos, like it would open in the Middle East. She would be a woman of Middle Eastern descent, and apparently Walter Johnston's suggestions were just, no, simplified, simplified. He said, no, if Lilith were to come back, she'd be an American with big tits. Oh, my God. So a lot of the stuff I think we get were just kind of where there was a draft. of the, And I'm not saying Joe Augustine's initial draft was a masterpiece. Who knows? But it does sound like a lot of the problems are a result of something getting simplified and truncated as it went. So...
2: Just put through the mill as it were, and shoot up and spat out, and you get this what you get,
0: yeah, and Joe Augustin says on the Blu-ray, he says there was always a threat of if the producer doesn't get what they want, they're just going to shut the movie down, so give them what they want.
1: yeah that certainly makes good sense as to why, but they should have just taken all of it out instead of leaving bits of it in, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Craig
2: ends up leaving late at night from work, he looks a little drunk honestly, but they don't actually address that or do anything with it. He has more nightmares that night. Kind of get the feeling he's equally touched like Sadie. And then it's the next day at work and they're looking over pics of the party where he sees Canada, Lilith, and Rod and her pics start to give him a headache. Her in film has a physical effect upon those who look upon her. This is like the first touch of that that they kind of give.
0: Yeah, most of this movie is Lyndon Ashby looking perplexed, be it in actual confusion or because he's in you know mental pain of some sort and getting a headache but most of it is just him with a furrowed brow for one reason or another in this movie and then so while he's at work that day kirstie rita's sister shows back up and she starts showing off her jewelry that she makes herself using silver which she refers to as a very powerful metal and she also does a lot of work with birthstones hers is opal and then she asks Craig what his would be and he has no idea, but he gives her the birth month and she says, oh, Amethyst. February. Spiritual and very powerful. They got that one right. It's true. Is it? Okay. Yeah, All it right. is. That's right. And as the relationship with Kirsty kind of starts to blossom is now we get this sort of very 80s trope of the true love versus just sex yep. kind of trope that runs through the movie. It's kind of exemplified when, kiersey shows up because i swear her belt it looks like a rosary in this scene (laughs) which i was probably an overt choice in this so yeah she shows off her jewelry and with the the ring she made which looks like a damn razor blade (laughs) and she's there to try and get her jewelry into the magazine and her and craig kind of hit it off he invites her to dinner he invites her to dinner and he goes and he picks her up from rita's place he goes in and he's talking to rita and we see that lilith is there as well and this is where lilith she walks into the room and demonstrates one of her supernatural abilities, which is to activate ceiling fans anytime she enters a room, because her hair is just always blowing anytime she walks in somewhere. So Craig gets another headache. They go to leave. Kirsty has the line "Good night," and Lilith has the response, "Yes, the night is good,"
2: <laughs> which is a choice. Before he picks up Kirsty, actually, uh, he does go visit Ken in the hospital. Yes. He shows up with some beer to try and raise the spirits, bringing beer into a hospital because, you know, they let you do that. Yep. Puts the cold beer on his toes. Is suspended because he's got a whole leg in a cast. He's got it up in the air. He's like just torturing him with the cold beer on his toes. And he asks him what happened, at which point Ken just wants to know all about Lilith. He's like, he's going nuts thinking about her. He, he's still, she has a lot of real estate in his brain still. He is basically the, the, uh, the Renfield kind the of Renfield. It character to her dracula absolutely but really that's just a quick establishing shot that he is still in the picture if a bit incapacitated and that's important because he shows up again later
0: yeah like i said we get a good amount of doug jones in this i was very
1: pleased it's still a weird scene like his obsession with her doesn't i mean i guess it works fine because who gives a shit but i i don't know something about the whole hospital scene i found off putting it i didn't write down why but i it was just odd it feels
2: very supernatural effect on him like he's not just you know smitten with her like she has a magical handhold in his brain is what it's really coming across as yeah
1: and and that happens with other people in the film yes it's just the level to which it happened with him instantly i mean i guess it's he's also you know he's the the doofus comic relief character so it doesn't really matter too much but. i think that's the key is that he's weak he's weak he's easy
2: prey as it were so and, and when she like let loose her full power on rod he got swept up in the current is really what happened so Craig takes Kirstie out on their first date, where he takes her to Makeout Point, basically.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where it's like, she's like, oh, you bringing else here? Oh, no, baby. No, nobody. Just you. Only you. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to make some sincere line about how I only come here alone. It just comes off to me as complete bullshit. Like <laughs> It's very rehearsed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You've said this hundreds of times. Oh, my God. So it starts the rain, you know, they kiss, they dance at his place, more kissing, almost coitus, but, you
0: know, she yawns. Almost coitus, but she has the line where she says, sorry, I think the wine is getting to me. And he says, oh, that's okay. And at this point, (laughs) this is the kind of movie we've got, the indicator that... Our hero is starting to be transformed by the power of love as he recognizes the concept of consent. (laughs) (laughs) He grows the tiniest bit of caring for the opposite
2: sex. Yes.
0: Yep. And then this is juxtaposed with a scene between Lilith and Rita. So Lilith is now using her powers to seduce and fog up Rita's brain the same way she's done to Ken. Then we get a return to the office. So Craig shows up to work the next day. and. Rita is fully enamored with Lilith and breaks the news to Craig as you know, we're going to do a new photo shoot and it's going to be Lilith on the cover. And at this point, one of the interns comes running up with a cover sketch for Lilith, which is a design where she has this makeup, which is half black with silver snake scales on it. And it has this other motif and she has a snake around her neck, which is exemplified on the sketch by an arrow pointing to it and the word snake. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like that he's the art director at this magazine, but nobody, even in the beginning, really gives a shit about what he says or thinks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your job is to show up and look pretty.
2: <laughs> so the, the one of the things that happened at this photo shoot is he's arguing. He's really upset because, like, you know, to completely switch gears and change their model and do a whole new photo shoot for the cover is going to potentially set them back. It's ridiculous. It's excessive. You know, he has completely logical complaints that Rita's completely ignoring. But the whole point of this moment is cursey shows up with the silver. A necklace that she's made. For the shoot. Nope. And you notice that Lilith touches it and almost seems to be burnt by it. And immediately shoos it away. The idea being that silver is going to be a major factor in somehow in defeating her. Because it, it's anathema to
0: her.
1: See, I got it. It was more that it was just true love's kiss kind of thing.
0: That's how they explain it later. Yeah, Sadie mentions it later, that it's not the materials, it's not the stones, it's, it's what they signify. Yeah.
2: But that makes no sense to me, because she made that silver necklace not for him, she did it for the magazine. Like, she, true love was not imbued in that necklace. That's complete bullshit.
1: <laughs> the rest of the movie makes sense to you? Didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Never claim that. You have a a harder time explaining this away in your head than other things. There's no explaining
0: this. It's just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I said on the laundry list of shit that doesn't make sense, this is on there.
2: It's like in my head later on, she goes, oh, it's because it's a symbol of love. I was like, bullshit, it's because it's silver. It's not because it's silver here that it makes absolutely no sense
1: earlier. So you're just dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that's our first broken rule anger for Nick today.
2: It makes no sense, all right? It is not not going
1: to be the last. I'm not arguing it makes sense. I'm with you. It is inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. But nothing else does, so I just kind of rolled with it. (laughs) Like, this is one of those movies where after a while, and I mean like five minutes in this, really, it, it happens pretty quick. Some movies you watch and you're like, okay, I kind of understand what they're going or what they're thinking for. Yeah, this logical inconsistency bothers me because everything else was relatively consistent or whatever. This one is just, it comes out. And it just goes blah 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 <laughs> at you. <laughs> <laughs> and your only logical response when a movie goes blah 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 at you is to go, Alright. <laughs> let me buckle my seatbelt and just let this happen.
2: It feels like they were like, Well, how does this scene work with the previous scene? They're like, Well, it, don't 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 ask me that. Just tell me, does it work in this one scene we're looking at? Like, well, the one scene we're looking at, yes. He goes, then shut the hell up and keep rolling.
1: (laughs) I just, for movies like this and movies in this period, I just, I assume the script supervisor was cocaine and move on. Yes. (laughs) So they leave the photo shoot and this is where we get the
2: real introductions. uh, Well, at least the first significant introduction to Sadie, who is actively trying to save Craig. Apparently, not only is Craig chosen in some way, marked in some way, having nightmares because of this, but Sadie knows it. Sadie is well aware that Craig is the final target. Never explained. Nope. Never, <laughs> no way does it say, this is why I know you're the one. Not addressed. Doesn't come up.
1: Doesn't care about the other ones. No. Nope.
2: Just Craig. Just Craig. But they write Sadie off. They go back to his place. There's a back rub, ass max
0: sex. You know, the way you normally do it. We get another Lilith hallucination during this, where he's making out with Kirsty, and all of a sudden she switches to Lilith, and we find out that Lilith has a xenomorph secondary maw inside her mouth with this black serpent mouth that shoots out, and actually multiple multiples. Yeah, she just starts yes.
2: shooting out snakes like she's some '80s joy where you
1: squeeze it and shit thighs out. <laughs> I thought they were going for some sort of Medusa thing here, but it's out of her mouth. It's never her hair. The new
0: Lilith action figure with snake puking action. <laughs>
1: I've heard Lilith referred to as the mother of monsters
2: and like maybe like she bursts them through, vomiting them out into the world. But the thing is, I'm giving this movie way too much credit making that up because that's my idea. And I think I would do well with that. But they just have
1: to say, snakes, do it. (laughs) 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 You know, and the whole thing is technically an hallucination dream anyway. So like this scene doesn't doesn't have to have logic.
2: So this is your worst part of the film for you, right?
1: No, look. (sighs) it didn't happen. It's a
2: dream. None of it's real, but you know it it's- wasted five minutes of your time, right?
1: <laughs> well, I'd say it wasted an hour and thirty-six minutes of my time. But touche, <laughs> touche. Uh, <Touché. laughs> this didn't bother me because I didn't care. Like this wasn't an otherwise good movie that had a bad sequence in it. This was a bad movie that had a sequence that I didn't care about. That any. ship had already sailed. There was nothing to ruin for you at that point. <laughs> <laughs> right. This was not a movie where logical inconsistencies bothered me. After a while. And by a while, again, I mean five minutes. Like, who knows? Maybe the whole thing was an allegory for actual Joseph, you know, in the Technicolor dream coat. I don't know, but I wasn't going to pick up on it because I didn't care. So he wakes up with the nightmare.
2: She goes to try to comfort him, and she gives him this silver amethyst necklace to inspire him. It should protect him, too, conveniently.
0: And she also says, Craig, I love you, and he doesn't respond. <laughs> nope. But all part of his character journey. But yeah, <laughs> I was like, ooh, oof, silence. Yeah, then he goes back to work at Siren the next day, continuing to have headaches and continuing to have visions of Lilith. They bring in the black and white photos of the photo shoot of Lilith, and he takes a look at them, and Lilith turns herself into an animated GIF. It's just like the foreground at first starts moving, and then it's the whole thing where he's kind of hypnotized by this photograph.
2: But it's not just him. Like, it starts in the dark room with the photos being developed, and as soon as they're finished, the guy just starts handing them out to everyone.
0: Yeah, everyone there is intoxicated by her and everyone there is starting to kind of fall under the spell the same way Rita has. Yeah, yep.
2: like everybody has like one of two reactions. They're either kind of like dizzy and confused and out of it, or they're just like totally sexed out and starting to like, you know, hit on each other. It's very much a one or the other situation with everyone who looks at the photos. But yeah, by the time he snaps out of it, it's because of the phone call and it's like nine o'clock that night. He's been just staring at his photo all day.
0: It's Kiersey calling him to let him know that Rita is throwing her out of the house, so she needs a place to stay, and so he's like, all right, well, we'll meet me at the bar, and we'll figure this out. So he leaves, drives en route, Sadie tails him. This is where we get our first dose of Sirens Burning, the, the big theme by Screaming Jay Hawkins. Craig arrives at the bar first, talks to the bartender a bit. Oh, that exchange.
2: That goddamn exchange. The bartender is like, not even the bartender is free of this. So Craig is like, how you doing? He goes, oh, you should have been here the other night there was like two strumpets that nobody was here to flirt with or do anything with. So I had to take them both home. It's just like, Oh my God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he actually says strumpets.
0: Yes, he does. (laughs) And then he says, is Kirsty here? And the bartender goes, I would have noticed a lone female. I'm like, oh my God. He also has Captain Kirk eye lighting in that sequence where it's just the shaft <laughs> of life across his <laughs> eyes. Like, what the fuck? I, really? I had like a Simpson. You know the,
1: oh my God, he actually wrote Diddly in the Simpsons. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. It was like, oh my God. He actually said strumpet. Now here's the best part. So he ends up. Here we go.
2: He ends up leaving the bar and I think he goes out the front door, but he ends up in some other room, which he's confused by. And then you see someone who is referred to as Samuel, yes, played by
0: Phil Fondacaro of Willow fame. Oh, I love this man so much. Uh, he was Von Karn Willow, and he was in a crapload of Empire movies. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Empire films back in our Stuart Gordon episode. But he was in Troll, yes, Dungeon Master, yes. Ghouls 2. So he has he has quite the resume. So now we get our hell sequence at least i think it's a hell sequence it could be a christmas sequence because it's also (laughs) a lot of red and greens so it could just be christmas i'm not entirely sure we get to the sequence of the film where again it has this sort of dream logic but it also feels like brian Yuzna and screaming mad george from society just bum rushed the set knocked out the director and the writer went was like it's our turn motherfuckers (laughs) because this movie goes full society for about a solid two minutes it's so, it's so fucking trippy. weird. But
2: it's clear he's walked into kind of a hellscape. Like, Samuel, like, opens the book that would normally sign a blood because, like, you don't have to. You're with Lilith. And then he just starts walking past this, like, gallery of lost souls. You know, the first one being these people who are making out, but when they stop making out, you see they're actually connected by one cheek to each other. Yeah, they're
0: melded together. We get a woman played by Susie Sparks, Susie Sparks! of Jugs Magazine <laughs> fame. Jugs fame. Who, who, she does this thing where she takes her breasts... And she lifts them,
2: and then as she lifts them, it slowly exposes these two faces underneath.
1: This is like, what the hell is that? And she's actually listed in the credits as woman
0: with faces under breasts. Yep. And then you have a man crucified, you have some aristocrats drinking it up. Yeah, the man crucified one was my favorite one, which is guy looks like Christ on the cross, and he's sitting there in agony, but they bring him a sip of a martini (laughs) at the same time. So while he's up on this thing, he's slurping a martini. Dude wrapped in barbed wire, a dude whose eyes swell out of his head. Yeah, and
2: so they roll skulls like bowling balls at one point, <laughs> and then they get into the section of the place that's
0: just all bondage gear. Yep. Cannibalism is occurring. Lilith shows up in her road warrior jacket in that sequence, where she looks like she's about to demand gasoline.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's just like, it's so out of place with the rest of the movie, which is basically kind of, you know... There's some dream logic to it, but it's a standard-ish horror movie. And then all of a sudden, you're in Baskin. <laughs> well, to be fair... It's
2: so weird. Lillard is a demon, so the idea of pulling him into her own private hellscape, while not too far-fetched, is not remotely set up. Like, there's nothing to insinuate that she's
1: capable of this, but she totally doesn't. It doesn't really serve any purpose to what she's trying to accomplish. Anyway, well, no, it doesn't. Or the movie, for that matter. Everything the movie does... Maybe not up to this
2: point, but everything if taking the movie as a whole implies he's to be like a final sacrifice. So why the frack is she trying to kill him on this night <laughs> prematurely? And it's really nothing more than a setup for they're like, oh, well, we need her to make a move on him and have the necklace stop her. But it makes no sense.
1: It's too soon and it's pointless. And yeah, all it ends. His only job is to die on night six. Right. She doesn't need him from the magazine. He's nope. already been excised from that. Process. She's moving ahead of schedule. She's going to screw up her own goddamn plan. But, you
2: know, hey, the necklace. We need to deal with the necklace. You know, and it's so dumb. Yeah. So she reaches out to like touch his chest to like do her thing, you know, go over this heart or, you know, whatever. And of course, the necklace burns her and you get this quick vision of her and her true self. Which, again, this movie, in my opinion, does a pretty decent job with the makeup effects. I really like what they did with the monstrous version of Lilith. It's a nice. Dichotomy to her
1: uh, human self. It's well done. Yeah, in terms of practical effects, the whole movie looks, I mean, you know, it looks like an 80s horror movie, but, you know, within terms of that, it's fine. It's perfect. You know, the hell sequence is well done, effects wise. It's just you can't really enjoy it by this point because your brain is still trying to explain it to you and your brain is just stuttering <laughs> at this point. So. Oh,
0: I enjoyed it. I was like you. I was just sitting and watching this movie with my hands up like I was on a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
1: We, Take me away, you're weird Brian Yuzna
2: shit. <laughs> I had watched this movie after watching a significantly worse film, so I got to enjoy this one a fair bit.
0: <laughs> so yeah, she touches the... We get a glimpse of Lilith's true form, which is actually kind of a transitional form we find out later. We'll get to that in a bit. She disappears. We find out she has a customized headboard in hell for a bed with all these skulls on it, but we only see that briefly. And then, so the counterpoint to this is Sadie has now come into the bar and is doing an exposition dump to Kirsty, and we find out that years and years and years ago, Sadie's lover Lewis was a young man who also fell under the spell of Lilith, and Lilith fucking molaromed him right in front of her. Kalima, <laughs> 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 shakti, day. Day. <laughs> put it in your heart, do
2: <laughs> Oh no, <laughs>
0: We don't see it in that bit. We see the Molaron bit later. But yeah, Lilith just straight up came from behind, plunged her hand into this dude's back, and held the heart out in front of Sadie. She also explains that she didn't get to Lilith back then. No. So
1: we have to assume at this point that Lilith is basically just Pennywise. She comes back every couple of years, kills a few people, and then fucks off to the underworld. So maybe the whole hell sequence is in Todash space. Let's be clear here. (laughs)
2: Nice. Sadie is the engine of exposition. She's the one that knows what's going on and is the one who's going to bring that knowledge to our lead characters so they can go on to save the day. But literally, and I'm really not exaggerating here, she's not good at that because literally her entire exposition, the entire thing is it happened before, they killed my lover, and now I'm here to stop her. That's it. Like she doesn't actually delve into any further discussion other than, like, she mentions she has to kill one guy a night. Up into the sixth night, but that's it. She doesn't say why. She doesn't explain you know what her motivations are, or timelines, or when this started, or that. Uh, doesn't even talk about who she is. It's like she's kind of leaning on the fact that you saw the opening credits and just to leave it there. You watched that, right, Craig and Kirsty? Good. Let's move on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta admit, I just made that it connection in my head. And all of a sudden, the movie makes so much more sense to me. (laughs) For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to refer to the main character as Stanley.
0: (laughs) Does that make Doug Jones the bully? Oh, yeah. Yeah. it does. Yeah. I would say he'd be
2: the
1: bully. She's the librarian. Yeah. Wow. This movie makes a lot more sense now.
2: But, you know, Sadie then keeps talking up, you know, in Christian terms, and then goes on to make him a potion. And... Uses a fetish stick over top of him.
0: Yep. And then talks about how they're in a, a room where the walls are consecrated, so they're safe there. But tonight is the sixth night of the Black Moon. And as Sadie explains, Lilith will be at the peak of her powers.
2: Now, literally, in the course of, I think it might have been like 60 seconds, maybe less. She's like, you have to stay here. You can't leave here. She can't get to you here. And she's, you're the one she wants. I'm going to go kill her. Oh, wait, you're going? Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> and we're up. Oh, I guess I can't stop you. Let's go.
1: <laughs> Down in the sewers to kill the clown. I mean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I like the basic description she has. for She has to go to little, She goes, Lilith exists because she was too much of a slut and wanted to sleep with other demons. <laughs> One man was not enough for her. I was like, seriously, we're slut-shaming Lilith? That's why she's bad? This movie is awful.
1: <laughs> you know what? He's not Stanley. He's Richie. Richie Tozier. Stanley's the one that kills himself. Yes. I haven't watched it in a little while, so I apologize. (laughs) I met Richie. (laughs) Beep, beep, Richie. Which is something I say to my cat a lot. My wife always looks at me cross-eyed when I say it. Because she's never seen it, so it just sounds insane. But if she had seen it, it would sound more insane. So it's really a (laughs) no-win situation. So, of course, they
2: have all this crazy shit going on. And Craig's like, all right, let's go back to work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got to punch in. Fuck it. (laughs) It's back to the siren offices. Which have now devolved into this bacchanalia with just this orgy with everyone making out. and cult
2: of Lilith, if you will. And
0: it's it's not really any worse than the workplace was when we started. It's just putting all the stuff that was subtext out on Front Street in this place. Yep. If nothing else, it seems somewhat more consensual than the workplace we started with at the start of this movie. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. On that most fucked
2: up of levels, it's actually a better working condition now than it was before. Because it's all consensual. <laughs> Except they're all zombies? No, they're, well, some. They're all in the purpose of getting Lilith what she wants. It's going to be perfect.
1: Well, right, but her whole plan seems to be to turn everybody at the magazine into zomb- sex save zombies who are not doing any work to get on the cover of the magazine. And I don't think she knows how book distribution works because this is. Killing everybody is not an efficient way to get your books published. They are doing work. I'm a published author. I can say that. When he comes in, anyone. <laughs> When he comes
2: in, anyone who can do any further work on the magazine is working on the magazine. That being said, not everybody is, so those who aren't are busy, you know, screwing, making out, or just, like, being dazed and drunk-like. When we say he goes, tries to approach Rita, who we see right away, has moved off the moral coil. She has been no longer needed and has been removed
0: from the equation. has a scar over her heart. Yep. Which we've seen earlier in the film, they established that, Lilith's big move is to plunge your fingers into the chest and pull your heart out and it looks like she did just that with Rita and then shortly after we see that Rita's deceased we see that Ken is back we get the return of Doug Jones who's now out of the hospital but on crutches and he's less hesitant now
2: he's grown some balls since his encounter with uh, Lilith and he's... which
1: is ironic because he gets a crutch right in him yeah he's basically <laughs> like
2: you know where do you think you're going we're here to serve Lilith so are you at which point Johnny Cage sweeps the leg <laughs>
0: And then gives Ken one in the bags. A pow! <laughs> right in the biscuits. Trips a man on crutches, kicks him in the junk, and then books it. Everyone in the building turns on him. This is ridiculous. They escape out of a window, Craig and Kirsty They escape out of a window down to their car, and Doug Jones on crutches is already down there. <laughs> He's beating him to the car. Honest to God, if
1: somebody gives me a two-piece and a biscuit, I'm on that floor for about 15 minutes.
0: He <laughs> gets down there with a Louisville <laughs> slugger and turns Craig's head into a baseball. Pop! <laughs> this is where we get, yeah, the super high frame rate sequence we mentioned earlier, which is he says, better up and hits Craig in the temple and the whole thing is just super slow motion done at a high frame rate.
1: He gets a really good shot at him, too. Yeah, he does.
0: <laughs> Kabong! They do this thing to
2: simulate his being out of it. They dim and brighten the lights up and out. It's like just like fluctuating light lighting to show that he's just like uh, 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 and collapses to the ground. At which point, Ken's like,
0: "I have an idea." Yeah, he grabs Kirsty, puts her in his vehicle. He, it looks like he puts her in the vehicle by giving her John Cena's finishing move, the attitude adjustment, where he just kind of <laughs> flips her from a fireman's carry over into the seat. It's
2: worth noting that he is again carrying this woman and flinging her around with a complete bum leg (laughs)
1: with one leg that's still
0: in the cast
1: yes yeah he clearly stops feeling pain somewhere during this sequence (laughs) because you know again he took a pretty bad shot and then he was just up and running so there's something about this little stuff that makes people like i said they're kind of zombie-ish certainly pursuing their pleasure but maybe not
0: their pain i don't know but yeah it's it's something it's rough (laughs) so ken takes off with kirstie to take her to wherever lilith is the rest of the inhabitants of the cyber magazine come down to descend on craig when sadie pulls up in the cab tells craig get in he dives in through the backseat window and she peels out and then he explains the sadie
1: thing. who had driven around the corner for no reason whatsoever
0: yep she went away for snacks <laughs> And at this point, Craig has a bit of exposition talking about what's going on at the magazine, and Sadie has the epiphany where she says, That's it! The glamour! The vanity! The perfect way for her to spread her evil on a grand scale! So apparently that was Lilith's master plan, getting on the front cover of this magazine. Yeah. Gonna, like, sex zombie the whole world. Yeah! So then we cut back to a swamp somewhere, <laughs> where Kens is getting a bit assaulty on Kirstie, and in the process, she manages to get a hold of a tire iron, poke it through his cast. And we apparently find out that Doug Jones's leg injury earlier. So we saw him kind of get his kneecap sheared off. Yep. But apparently it looks like his leg was completely disintegrated. And it's just <laughs> blood in that cast because the amount of blood that comes gushing out when she pokes it is like that that cast is hollow. It's
2: just Did you get a good look at the cast. I didn't No. it is signed by Lilith. Are you shitting me? It looks, oh. like it's, it looks like it's in blood, but in blood it says Lilith on the cast. I was like, what <laughs> the hell is this shit? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love you, oh, I'm yours, sign my cast. <laughs> I've watched this movie like five times, now i got to watch it a six.
2: Uh. So. <laughs> you almost miss it, because it's almost missed with other blood around it, but I saw it clear as day, I was like, it says Lilith on his cast, oh my god. Holy shit. I, I lost it. So, yeah, she stabs him with the car jack, the jack wrench, takes off into the woods and hides. He's screaming after her. He's like, I love you. Come back. They did a pretty good makeup job on here. You know, while not, you know, full body prosthetic, you know, it was just like some nice touch-ups around the eyes and face to give him this kind of, like, gaunt, really kind of progressing in his
1: evil submission uh,
2: fashion. It's, I thought, once again, Doug Jones
1: did a great job. I mean, it does take a lot of effort to be classified as not the problem in a movie like this. (laughs) (laughs)
0: she <laughs> stabs him in the leg, she gets away, he descends on her again, and as Ken is sort of wrangling Christie to the ground, Lilith shows up again, and uh, at this point Lilith plunges her fingers into Doug Jones' chest, and starts this pretty cool effect, as you can see her kind of siphoning the blood, and you can see it running up the veins of her arm, and if you're a practical effects person and you really like the little behind-the-scenes stuff, Check out the Blu-ray for this. There's like 40 minutes of old VHS behind the scenes footage of how they did certain effects. And that's one of them. You see the test footage of the Dunes. You see the test footage of the arm effect. And then you also see the uh, test footage of Lois form, which we'll get to in a minute. But she starts siphoning the blood out of Ken's chest. And at this point, Doug Jones looks like he's kind of in agony and ecstasy as she's siphoning the blood out. And he also looks like he's transmogrifying into an Aardman animation character. (laughs) Where just the way his grin is, like, he looks like Wallace. My life for you, Lilith! (laughs) It's funny
1: you make that joke, because I have a note that he's kind of like a proto-trashcan man. Like, he reminded me of Matt Frewer in the Stand series by this point. You know, saying, my life for you, and the way his sort of mania, but devoted mania. It really reminded
0: me of Trashcan Man. I see it. And so Craig and Sadie are in pursuit. Sadie starts having heart problems but she hands her magical dagger off to Craig which is this weird magical wavy bladed dagger which she says the only way to kill Lilith is to plunge this into her heart for some reason and so <laughs> but but you know it's not the silver
2: it's the love except this knife which is silver and has nothing to do with you so yeah go to good luck
1: <laughs> <laughs> if they just called her a vampire a lot of this movie would have made a little bit more sense a lot more sense
0: craig takes the knife and comes on Lilith in the middle of making a spell, and in the first word we hear say is Pazuzu. Yes! Oh, I, I got excited when that when that happened. I was like, oh, she's making a phone call. This takes place in the Exorcist universe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's calling Brad
0: Dourif when he's in his cell from Exorcist 3. <laughs> <laughs> it's lonely here in solitary.
2: But yeah, so she's doing her incantation, her summoning ritual, and uh, he walks up to stab her. Uh, she stops him, grabs the knife, and tries to seduce him. Uh, he drops it. She tells him to take off the necklace, so of course he does. Because, you know, the fuck's the necklace got to do with anything? Apparently nothing. Who is she summoning anyway? She's already
0: here. More demons? It's never explained. We hear Pazuzu's name, and then I couldn't catch the names that come after it. But I assume... Because all
1: the other demons were in the basement of that bar. Like, we know where they are.
2: Yeah, they're partying. She promises to teach Craig the secrets of pleasure and lust. Which
0: immediately I'm like, oh, so she's a Cenobite. Okay. <laughs> This is starting to make some more sense. She has the line, I will do things to you that no other woman would dream of. And it's not, I will do things that no other woman would dream of. Or not, I will do things with you. I will do things to you that no other woman would dream of. (laughs) That sounds very pinhead. (laughs) She has such sights to show you, Craig.
1: This movie would have made a lot more sense if it was almost any other movie. Yes. is what I think we're saying. Very
2: much so. She's promising these things as she's starting to, like, insert her fingers into his chest. Like, he's like, I'm going to show you so much and promise you so much. One second while I get this heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just before she can complete the ritual, Kirsty shows up and he looks over to her and says, "Kirsty, I love you.
0: And then Lilith gets finger reflux.
2: Yeah. Ah! His love for Kirsty expressed in that moment, the first time he said it sears her hand and she pulls back away from him and she's pissed
0: (laughs) and so at this point she goes into the monster form that we saw in the hell sequence which is also
1: featured in pumpkin head
0: yeah kind of similar yeah i could say it's similar but we only see that form for a second because then she transforms even further into an even more monstered out form
2: yep all wings and everything
0: And and you can actually hear her saying it's in a monster voice, but you can hear her saying
2: Craig, why? (laughs) Your description of that just made me think of Tales of the Dark Side, the movie. (laughs) With the the gargoyle scene.
0: Oh, it's been so long.
2: Oh, man. I don't want to ruin it. We should do that one sometime.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to it eventually. I love that movie so much. So she starts, she's in full monster form, and again, it's a Kind of a cumbersome design, but it's still a co- it's still a very well done suit. She starts to descend on Craig and Kirsty, and then Sadie jumps in with the one shot crit. She plunges this knife Pow! into Lilith's chest, and Lilith fucking explodes. Yeah, she's got like
2: her wings go full expansion, her chest goes full celestial light, boom. You know, rolled
1: that natural twenty. Yeah, evil's defeated. Sadie is happy and avenged,
2: and Craig. Well, Craig's gonna need a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, you would think it would be take Craig to the hospital time, but instead we cut to Craig in bed. With Kirsty, With just a piece of gauze over his chest. With Kirsty. <laughs> so apparently like open wounds that went through your ribcage into your heart. It was like, ah, now just put some gauze on it and go to sleep.
1: <laughs> Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> it's the 80s. <laughs> Nothing a little cocaine can't fix.
2: Yeah, but you know, there's the scene that if this was any better of a film, I feel Jake would have hated. Where it's basically another quick dream sequence. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous because. It's fucking he, dumb. It's, it's <laughs> the same scene twice. Yes. It's almost identical scene twice. I'm like, what the? F- I don't understand why this was important. But yeah, he kind of wakes up, the door unlocks. He's like, what? And he investigates. Ah,
1: now you get it. No, 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 no. The shoe
2: is <laughs> on the other foot, motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> if there were actually two different events, I probably would have not cared as much. But it's, like, literally the same goddamn scene twice in a row for no reason whatsoever. Like, he gets up, he investigates, and he sees the magazine on the table. It's you know, that, oh, fuck moment. The magazine. It still happened. And the magazine bleeds, and hands jump in the magazine, and he wakes up. Oh, it's a nightmare. And
0: then he looks over, and there's the magazine on the table. It's like, oh, <laughs> make up your mind! Did it happen or didn't it? And that's it. That's our pseudo sequel bait ending that we get. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the ending of this. Is Can we weird.
1: isolate Nick's sound right there, real quick, for promotional purposes and me on Twitter? Where Nick said, Did it happen or didn't happen? Make up your mind. Mm. No, 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 no. I'm just saying I need a sound bite for, for Twitter purposes. I'm okay <laughs> when it doesn't happen, and I'm okay when it does happen, but when
2: it's both, that's problematic.
1: But anyway, the moral- I really, I'm going to need a soundboard
0: soon. (laughs) Eric, don't feed the troll. All right. (laughs) That audio is going to go missing. There was a hiccup. All I got was static. (laughs) (laughs) So the moral of the story really is that all men are awful
2: pigs. Only a woman's love can save you. And, you know, who needs a complete story?
0: (laughs) much yeah that's my big beef with the ending is it's just weak it's not even like the double dream sequence it was like "Ah, that's just kind of limping at the finish line and i like that this movie we talked before about its 80s sensibilities and it has that whole thing about you know it's not about sex it's about true love and that's what can really save a person's soul but they do have premarital sex which i thought was funny it was like oh no 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 don't wait till you're married to fuck no 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 fuck away but only (laughs) fuck when it's true love (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, just not the first date, which is what this movie established. <laughs> That's a second oh. date thing.
2: Th- this movie just rips off so many other movies. You're right. If it was any other movie, it'd be better. You know, the hell room felt very much like in Jacob's Ladder, where he's running through his hellscape, and there's like each room's different. and The way they Kali Mod shocked today everybody, and Lilith basically is a Cenobite, and there's the it kind of format. It- <laughs> this movie's like, let's take all our influences and then not make something new or different or hell, not even use them. We'll just let you know we have influences
1: and then call it a movie. (laughs) And make sure we shoot it in the same color palette as syndicated television shows that aired from 1988 to 1994. (laughs) But all that being said, I love me some Doug Jones and this movie was worth watching it for him. Yeah. We watched this for Doug Jones and this is probably the longest he made it in a film where he wasn't a monster. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was a pretty good call.
0: Yeah. It's, I do not think this is a good movie, but... Agreed. I was so excited seeing this, because this is the sort of thing I was hoping for, like, not to get all the time, but as part of doing the podcast, this was the sort of thing I was looking forward to finding. <laughs> I seeing something on IMDb, and it's like, what the hell is this movie? Oh, it's the Night of the Demons guys, the guy who did Halloween 5, Doug Jones... Is- oh, 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 shit, Johnny Cage, what's this? And going into it, sight unseen, and getting... It's not a, a particularly great movie, but it does have merit, particularly if there you are, are yeah there are moments in it that are interesting from a visual standpoint, be it from it being so ridiculously eighties but also from <laughs> the the effects it's such a product of its time, yep. But there's parts of it that are legitimately interesting, just bits and pieces here and there. And it was, it's, this is, again, I don't think this is great, but I'm so glad I watched it. It was thoroughly entertaining. And in all the times I rewatched this prepping for the pod, it was a breeze every time. There's a lot about this movie that's troubling from a, <laughs> a gender role standpoint, from a misogyny standpoint. and
1: Racism. Don't forget the racism. And racism. Yep, racism. It's
0: got it all. So there's a lot about that that's intensely problematic. But the movie is... It's zany enough at particular intervals as it goes that it never really drags. True. So you still get those bursts of bits of pieces. So like I said, if you haven't seen this and you are like a sucker for 80s horror. Or Doug Jones. Or Doug Jones. Yes, you get a lot of Doug Jones in this for this early in his career. Yeah, I wouldn't say I hated it. No. I didn't like it, for sure.
1: But in terms of sitting down and watching a movie, sometimes it is fun to just have a movie tell you right up front do not take me seriously even a little bit and just sit back and try to enjoy the ride and revel in some absurdities and this this was good for that i didn't like you said i didn't mind watching it i didn't feel like i was looking at the clock waiting for it to end i'll never watch it again (laughs) and odds are i'll purge most of it from my memory and have to listen to this podcast to remember that I even watched the fucking thing (laughs) in two weeks. But it wasn't a drag. It wasn't boring. It wasn't disinterested. It was just trying to do a lot of things it didn't do. Yeah, it failed at almost everything it tried. But somehow in that failure became, I don't want to say so bad, it's good, because it's not I don't even know if it'd be a good party movie. We didn't watch it together. It is
2: not a good film, but it is mildly entertaining. Yeah. yeah. You're right. At no point was I like going, dear Lord, kill me or brain me with a brick. You know, I watched it. and I was like, wow, that was pretty bad.
1: All right. I like any of the movies, though. It's fine. It didn't make me mad like
0: Castle Freak did. <laughs> which We talked about in our Stuart Gordon episode. So the one thing I'll ask is when you do go through your memories and start purging things please don't purge the memories of doug jones dancing yes i i can't his
1: pole dance is the only thing i got out of this movie <laughs> and w- when i do our twitter feed and our uh instagram feed for this later on i i'm gonna need some animated gifs of that dance i don't need anything else from the movie but i need that maybe him getting the hard knocks right in the uh the mean doug jones machine so <laughs> <laughs>
2: so hey, one request to the studio audience out there if you're listening to this and if in any way you happen to know Doug Jones and then reach out to him, we'd love for you to let him know that you know we're thinking of him on his day. we were happy to watch this in his honor.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I would say have a happy Doug Jones Day. Happy Doug Jones Day. We'll be back soon with another bonus episode, actually. But in the meantime, this is Eric Dellinger wishing you a happy Doug Jones Day. This is Nick Leamy,
1: More than happy to watch these films for you. And this is Jake
0: Patterns Jones saying happy Doug Jones Day. <laughs> So happy Doug Jones Day! We'll see you soon. Happy Doug Jones Day.
1: Bla.